Welcome to Spirit School. My name is Danielle Serenk, also known as the Squamish Medium. I am the host of your Spirit School, where I will share all the lessons and learnings that I have uncovered through my intuitive development and mediumship development journey. I am a professional psychic and medium, an intuitive teacher and mentor, and I look forward to walking alongside you on this journey. Hello everyone and welcome back to Spirit School. I am so excited today to introduce an astrologer that I just had a reading with last month, which I'm so excited to share with you, Dr. Michael Lennox. He is not just an amazing astrologer and I will say that the reading I had with him was absolutely phenomenal. It was so energizing. I've listened to it again like three times to be honest with you and that rarely happens when I have readings. As a professional medium, I get a lot of different types of readings from a lot of different people and it was one that really, really stuck out for me. Um, he also is a media expert. He talks about how to find your voice, um, not just like physically, but like, you know, overcoming past traumas to find your voice and why did you lose it in the first place. He is a professional dream interpreter. He has two books out there, which I just ordered one of them online yesterday. So I'm excited for that to come. I have some dreams about or questions about dreams coming up as well. He's also a mentor and teacher and you probably know him on Instagram. He's Dr. Lennox Michael, I think. I'll get you to say your handles after, but I call you the Red Robe Astrologer, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> a lot of people probably call you that. But on social media, he's the first face to greet me every single day. The algorithms work. He's always giving us the daily astro updates, and I highly recommend you check him out. His energy is just contagious. I get covered in shields every time he's around. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Michael. How are you doing today? It is so good to be here, Danielle. I'm actually excited to talk to you just because, just because I like you, I like your energy, and I'm delighted that you're taking on, you know, your work in the world, which is really what I'm all about is making a stand for everybody to rise up to, you know, knowing who they are, bringing what they bring to the world in service. And you're really doing that, Danielle, and it is my delight to share your space uh, with you today. Well, I really, really appreciate that. And you brought me so much comfort in my reading because it took me years to find my voice in this work. It took me years of overcoming uh, imposter syndrome and how, what am I saying that's any different from anything anyone else is saying and like really finding my voice in this work. It took me a good few years. And when you gave me my astrology reading, it was really kind of affirming for me that I am meant to be sharing my voice. I am meant to be on like a larger platform. And it just, you know, this is what I love about astrology. It's my favorite type of reading to get because it's not telling you what to do with your life. It's kind of like reaffirming what your soul is like kind of pulling you towards, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. So, so tell me a bit about yourself. Like I kind of introduced yourself, but how do you explain your work to the world? <laughs> well, I like to call myself a spiritual teacher first because I'm a teacher. I love to teach. Like the moment I have an opportunity to share my wisdom and knowledge in the teaching fashion, I, I, that's just what lights me up. Specifically, you know, I'm a psychologist first and foremost, because uh, it's important to me that I, you know, know and understand the human condition from a perspective of the theory that psychology offers, right? So I've got the more traditional mode of helping people with their experience of their, their bodies and their embodiment through that. <clears throat> but I'm also an expert in dreams and dream interpretation and an astrologer. And those intuitive gifts rose up for me as a teenager and it wasn't until sort of in my like mid thirties where I was working in the corporate world, but on the side, I was like doing little workshops, mm -hmm. you know, in yoga studios here in Los Angeles about dreams and dream interpretation and giving everybody who came within 10 feet of me some sort of a reading, either with my <laughs> cards or dreams or astrology. And then I just hit this wall in the middle of my thirties where it's like, my soul feels like it's being eaten. I'm not doing the work that I'm here to do on the planet, let's go to grad school. That's when the psychology sort of entered the picture because I was like, I want to help people, but I also don't want to be just like one of those people hanging a shingle. I wanted to know more about the human condition. So that's when I went into the grad school experience and through learning about humanity through grad school studies, that's what sort of led me into a place where I could put both sides of my consciousness together. 
so that I could help people from a practical perspective in ways that that would have agreement to the psychological community and the woo-woo stuff that I sort of, you know, also battled with my whole life is like, is this real? Does it matter? <laughs> you know, what? Right. so by, by grounding in the formal education, when I came out on the other side of that, when I was about 30, you know, nine, 38, 39, it was like, okay, here I am. I'm ready to start helping people on a one-on-one -on -one basis with private sessions as a psychologist, as a therapist, and as an astrologer, and a guide, an intuitive guide, but also to teach, to teach about everything that I had been learning in my journey along the way about consciousness and breath work. And, you know, and at a certain point, it was like, wow, I've thrown a lot of spaghetti against the wall. Is there a way for me to just sort of put it all into one presentation? And it's the idea of conscious embodiment, that we're all running around in these bodies that we barely know how to use. It's very confusing with tons of thoughts and feelings and trauma that we've inherited and desires that we have. And so I just sort of came up in the last 10 years with this notion of, well, I'm, I'm the ambassador to your unconscious. I know how to work that, that experience of being a, a being of consciousness that's bumping up into the walls of our unconscious experience, which is just about everything. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I began to just put it all together. And what I found was people were responding to the work I was doing. So yeah. the private practice grew, the, the, the places to go and speak and teach was, was also growing, you know, and then it all just began to coalesce when the internet exploded and, you know, remote connections. Like everybody's been Zooming this past year, but some of us have been Zooming for like a decade now, only it used to be Skype, right? Once I discovered that way of connecting with people, that's when it began to be a sort of single thread experience of me as a teacher of consciousness. Mm. You know, whether it's your trauma because mommy and daddy were not so, you know, uh, uh, doing a great job of their, you know, stuff, or the mystical things about what the power is when we dive into prayer and meditation. Um, you know, so I like to approach helping other people from both the inner and the sort of upper, <laughs> the, 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 the inner work to let your, you know, trauma out of the way and the upper work, the spiritual work to know how to connect with the, you know, the inspiration that's part of our humanity that we miss when we're busy bumping up against our trauma. Yeah. Or avoiding it and or avoiding it. Yep. 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 And <laughs> overcompensating with food and alcohol and God knows all those things, things, which by the way, I've done every single one of those things. Mm -hmm. Like I know everything about the avoidance experience, which of course is what helps us teach others when we bump into people who are, you know, also struggling with stuff that I've been through. So I know yeah. that journey. It's really a trademark of the teacher's path, right? Like a really colorful life, overcoming like a lot of different things. It's definitely trademarks, I think, of the teacher's path. Absolutely. There's nobody better to help you with your trauma than somebody who's pushed through their own. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So I would, <laughs> people love a good quit story. So I escaped the hostage or the corporate world earlier this year, which I was really excited to talk about. That came up a lot in my chart. You were surprised yep. when I did the thing. It didn't make sense in my life to jump when I did jump, but I did jump astrologically completely aligned almost to the day why my soul was just like, leave, you got to go now, do this thing. So what's your quit story? Like, how did you transition out of like safety of corporate and mm -hmm. you know, that security that perceived like golden handcuffs, that security into actually following your dharma? Like what lights you up? Like what was that transition for you? I know for me, I built my practice on the side for six years. So I kind of had inklings that, okay, this probably could sustain me. I've kind of built this kind of thing. Like it sounds like you might've had something very similar. Yeah, I also had a corporate life, right? And uh, in the entertainment industry, in fact, my last corporate job was, was as a vice president uh, of new business development for Playboy. And I do <laughs> like to share that publicly because it is so anathema to the spiritual path. Um, but even that idea of spending five years at an entertainment company where sexuality was sort of in the lead, um, uh, which, by the way, I had no judgment about. In fact, I, I loved that community. I loved the Playboy community. I loved Hef. I loved what he stood for uh, and his philanthropy and his, his social justice movement. Like, there was a lot of... But I definitely felt like I was eating, you know, like 
you know, eating my soul. I was not doing the work I was here to do on the planet just because I was having fun at work and making good money, right? Yeah. I got laid off from Playboy along with about 30 other people. It was like this big chopping block. And I knew in my heart that there was, I was never going to go back into the entertainment industry in any sort of a way. Mm. Um, although I didn't know what was going to happen next, something that came along in my path that really helped turn my life from a corporate workaday experience into being a full-time uh, professional sort of spiritual teacher was I got this television show job in 2002 for the sci-fi network on dreams and dream interpretation. It was just like an actor job. I went to the first audition, um, 20 different dream experts gathered from around the country in this production office. And, you know, by the time that like week was over, I had booked the job mm. and it was a two year process of testing co-hosts, testing the format, getting greenlit on the pilot. Like that whole process took a very long time. And so I thought I was on the path to just become a rich and famous dream expert TV star. <laughs> like that's what I thought it was. And then three months after the show was premiered, uh, it was canceled. Oh, it geez, yeah. Was not in my playbook, I assure you. <laughs> so the, this is sort of the long answer to your question. The short answer though, Danielle, is the dark night of the soul that followed when that show got canceled was the worst best thing that ever happened to me mm -hmm. and it was dark and it was difficult and because i really really had the feeling at 39 that everything in my life had led to this magnificent moment where i was going to ascend the you know the the media mountain <laughs> and, and 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 take my seat amongst you know other you know famous spiritual teacher types and the fact that that didn't happen um was devastating to me but boy did that dark night of the soul just give me to me yeah. you know, i came out the other side of that knowing who i was and having having this ambition of i gotta be famous removed yeah right? It just got removed. And so the development of my work after that crisis was so pure. It was so much about helping people. It just didn't have anything to do anymore about cash and prizes. Yes. Um, and so that was the beautiful beginning of where I am now, that once I sort of pulled through that dark, by the way, that dark night of the soul included a revisit to my addiction experience. Mm. And there was a lot of alcohol and a lot of, you know, avoidant behavior because I was devastated. But I pulled myself up out of that. I certainly had the tools to do that. But truly, it was being thrust into the pit of that dark night where I got to just be with the, 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 the purity of my fear and terror and, and sense of I don't understand, you know, what this devastating journey is. And then you just sort of, you move through it and you, you know, if you're well supported by, you know, your environment and people who love you and you, I certainly had my work, like work never went away and I began to build my practice and, and um, you know, and my business, solo Ali. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, it's just something that is growing and growing and growing at this time, especially at this time when the world exploded into, you know, a different level of need yes. for the care that spiritual teachers can offer. I was ready. Like I was ready to meet this year full on head on because I had prepared to know who I am, what my gifts are, how I serve, and then do it. And there's, there's something beautiful about aligning with the vibration of service and it really kind of creates the beginning of like an unfolding. It's like, we're not forcing anything anymore. We're just, we're just telling the world spirit, I'm here, I'm ready. How can I serve? Right. And this is one thing I tell all my students who like uh, are afraid of getting things wrong or afraid of sharing their yeah. opinions. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you just tap into that vibration of service, you've done your part to just open right. up your heart and just open right. up. So it sounds like you kind of tapped into that, that service mindset and it just Happen. Absolutely. And it, it becomes the central nugget of the 
prayerful place I go anytime I feel overwhelmed or tired or um, sometimes even just my own body and its demands on how attentive I have to be to my breath because the instrument is so sensitive now, I can't avoid, I can't be in avoidance. I have to be available to be consciously aware of every breath that I am taking. And that sometimes feels relentless. Mm -hmm. um, but then being of service in that mentality is what carries me through any moment. If I wake up on a day and it feels onerous to have four or five or six clients, I am on my knees in front of my altar just saying, help me serve help me serve, help me serve. And that posture gets me to the chair and then service takes care of the rest. All I have to do is get to the chair. I don't have to worry about what happens next because service is natural, service is organic. Service is how we lift each other up energetically, whether it's in a tiny little way or in a big way that's like a lifestyle. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so I guess as an astrologer, you probably saw nuggets of 2020 coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, the language I used a lot in 2019 was like we've never seen before. Right. I mean, the year started with all this like Capricorn energy, like this like super intense Capricorn energy. And I mean, I am not an astrologer at all. I have so many questions about astrology for you today that actually came through my Instagram page as well. But I was really surprised. Like I left my job three weeks before lockdown, like the whole world lockdown. And I couldn't believe how many people were ready to start looking at themselves. It was like something happened for us spiritual entrepreneurs where people are at home. People have more time to reflect. They, they start to align with how they really want to live. Like I couldn't believe I found myself in like almost a recession proof industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is, it's, it's, it is extraordinary what people were available for that surprised even me. I do a little bit of psychotherapy, not a lot. It's not what I love. I like to do a little bit, but, but not a lot. And I will tell you that there were one or two of my clients in, in therapy where when the lockdown began and, and, and things were, you know, uh, getting a little dicey, I was nervous for at least two of my clients. And they just surprised the shit out of me with how ready they were to go to a deeper level of embodiment at a moment when the world certainly could have offered them the opportunity to freak out even more. And so I've noticed that exponentially all over the place in exactly the same way you have noticed. Mm. That, that, you know, you squeeze people in this moment and the juice that's inside of them comes out. The terrified people, I don't see them, I don't work with them because they're not looking for help. And they're out there and that's sad. But the people who are being squeezed and the, the juice that's coming out of their lemons is, I want to work on myself, I want to expand, I want to take advantage of this moment. Boy, there's just been more of that than I would ever have guessed in advance. Even just seeing like how many people are signing up for classes, like just the sheer volume of people. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't even believe it. Like, I feel incredibly blessed and I feel, I just feel so lucky. Like, all I think you I think your timing was freaking magnificent. I remember that session, Danielle, and I remember how thoroughly it felt in my body when looking in your chart and holding space with you, that you were there, you were ready. It was time. And the fact that it was as precariously timed as it was is almost like a surprising after fact to, to, to take in. Like, I don't remember that you quit your job three weeks before lockdown, yeah. but I do know that you're in the right place. Yeah, I feel it. I mean, I just feel it. I'm so, so happy. So I want to talk about astrology technically for a second, because I've been really interested in astrology for many years. Moonology, it started with an obsession with the moon, like four years yeah. ago. I have tried to study astrologer astrology but this could be a limiting belief i have and this did actually come up in some of the questions that came through instagram but it can be so overwhelming astrology almost seems like a code that's only accessible or cracked open for a select few because i mean i've studied astrology for so long and i couldn't tell you off the top of my head the qualities of neptune or the qualities of this of the like eighth house and it's like is do you have to have like this stellar memory or is it like a code that's just unlocked <laughs> That's a, this is a great question. It actually does come down to two modes of intelligence that all of us possess. 
uh, outside of neural atypical experiences. That in neural typical experiences, we all um, have access to what most, like colloquially is called left brain, right brain, which is a misnomer. But, but everybody understands what I mean when I say left brain, analytical, structural, technical, geometrical consciousness. Uh, um, that's the part of intelligence that understands the math of angles, the list of, of meaning. Like you say, you can't remember what Neptune means, but a left brain person would be easily able to be like, oh, Neptune spirit, Uranus awakening, Pluto change transformation, Saturn reckoning and teaching, you know, Jupiter expand, you know, that's a left brain thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, the right brain is where we hold the interpretive experience, the, the part of us that can then marinate intuitively and tap into what the left brain is holding in front of you. The right brain comes in with language that's, that is interpretive and valuable to the receiver of that, of that information, right? Um, I happen to be good at astrology because I'm 50-50 left brain, right brain. Like when I took my SATs in high school, my English score and my math score were exactly the same, <laughs> which I did not know at the time was rare, but I did, I was told that and I, you know, have later discovered that it, that it is uh, unusual. So that somebody with a really powerful analytical mind is easily going to be able to remember all of the different meanings and understand the geometry. But if they don't have a great intuition, they might not be able to interpret it valuably for the recipient. Right. The person who's got a great intuition, however, will be able to tap into some of the left brain stuff that they can hold on to and be intuitive. I do know astrologers who will look at a chart. They will not be able to see what I see in the precision land, but their intuition will respond to what they can see yeah. and, and operate from there. So the idea that astrology is dense and overwhelming, honey, that is not a limiting belief. That is a so thing okay. about <laughs> astrology. I get overwhelmed with the thing. Now, I don't worry about it any longer because it's like I moved away from the things that didn't grab my attention and I moved in the direction of the things that did grab my attention. So as an astrologer, I work with transits, moving planets and the angular connections they make up there in the sky, as well as to, to charts, you know, uh, in, of individuals. And that's the focus I do. There's a whole bunch of other arms of astrology that I just don't work with, like progressions, progressed charts. I won't talk about what that is because it would take too long to be boring as hell for most of your listeners. But it's a very valid astrological tool. I know just enough about progressions to include them in a session if it feels like if I feel moved to do it. Yeah. But I'm no expert because astrology is just too, is just too dense mm -hmm. to say I got to learn everything. Right, so you, as a budding astrologist, Danielle, I encourage you to just follow what interests you and start with the moon. That's a great place to start because it's I very, love that. well, it's very simple, it's very repetitive, and it's very immediate. We are all very dialed in to the moon cycles in terms of our bodies and our feelings and our emotions and our, you know, even our hormonal cycles, you know, connect to the moon and, and her movement. Um, it's very intimate to work with the moon uh, and it's pure astrology. Yeah, I love that. And I notice more and more people are either niching down in their astrology, like whether they focus on a career astrology or relationship astrology. Right. Um, and then I've seen more and more people use the title intuitive astrologer, right? And yes, that's probably somebody with a great intuition who knows just enough about the planets and the signs and the placements to ground their intuition in what astrology is triggering them to say. That's valid. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And I find that, you know, I did not test well in school. I did, I was not very studious. I'm definitely like all right brain. And it, it does help me in mediumship where uh, I know that the information that comes through for me is like, is natural and it's very um, authentic because I don't remember anything. Like I can't even remember my client's name by the time we finish the session. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's like someone will say to me while I'm channeling and talking in a session, ooh, ooh that was good. Could you repeat it? I'm like, no, no I can't. 
try to go back and replicate the feeling state that I was in when I said those words, but that's why we record the session because mm -hmm. I'm not in that right brain space yeah. connected to the linear things that I'm saying. And I'm sure that helps your mediumship outrageously because if you were grabbing onto the three-dimensional thoughts you were having, it would interfere with the flow of that channel coming through your mouth. Yeah. And I just wanted to point people to you too. You have an astrology one-on-one session, which I'm sure is phenomenal. I was looking at it today online because I was like, oh, maybe I should do this. But I'm like, oh, Danielle, like stay, stay with your mediumship. You're doing mediumship, but you do have an astrology course available online. I saw, and you can sign up for your newsletter and that you get like a master class for astrology as well. So just want yeah, to- Yeah, yeah. There's lots of free yummy stuff and there's some stuff you have to pay for. But yes, I am committed to sharing and teaching as much as I possibly can to as many people as I can before I split this life. I wanna turn the whole world into astrologists. At the very least, people who know what the moon feels like as it moves around the, the zodiac. That, that's why the moon is sort of great for, for, for anybody starting out, is that I was drawn to astrology because my physical body is so outrageously sensitive to energy and the movement of energy, I am practically motion sick on the earth. Yeah. And I mean, I say that, but, but I spent 18 months back when I was opening up the most energetically about 20 years ago, I was motion sick for 18 months because I could feel the spin of the earth and the movement so profoundly in my body. And so, as I developed my language for astrology, I was always captivated by the planetary transits, the day-to-day -day changing geometry, because the day-to-day -day changing geometry changes the sensation of the energy that our bodies are moving with and moving through. Mm. I feel that physically. So I was drawn to doing astrology explorations that were connected to what is the energy gonna feel like today? Yeah. The moon is something that everybody feels the sensation of moon sign changes. You don't have to be as sensitive as I am. Mm -hmm. If you're in a body and alive, <laughs> you're gonna feel the shift of the moon changing signs, though it might take you three or four lunar cycles of paying attention to that to really actually be able to make some sense of it. That's something I recommend to people. It's like social media, you can't not know where the moon is if you want to find out. There's a thousand million astrologers sharing that or Instagram or you know apps that show you that. And that's what I instruct people to do. Spend three to four months with a journal that just says, what does it feel like in my body today and clock the moon sign changes. That's the value of being with the moon because your body feels the shift of energy every two and a half days. Yeah, and that's because we're mostly water. Is that right? That's right. That and the moon obviously influences like the waters of the world, right? And I agree. And I got Yasmin Boland's daily moon diary a couple years ago. And I found it really fascinating tracking every day. Like, oh, when I'm in Taurus, like... I totally kind of like shit the bed of my business. But when it's like in Capricorn, it's like I have all yep. these ideas and I'm so motivated, yeah. right? And it's going to be different for people based on their chart. Like I'm a singer and my voice is different depending on the moon sign. And I'm now at a place in the sensitivity of knowing how my body works. I know what two or three moon signs I sound great in. I know what two or three moon signs I do not sound great in. And then I know where it's neutral. Yeah. Right. And it's absolutely connects to my chart. Capricorn is when I sing the best and my mm -hmm. South node is in Capricorn. That's like the karmic entry into this life in a natal chart. It also represents natural gifts and talents that you come pre-installed with. So yeah. it makes some sense that when the moon is in that sign, something that was pre-installed in me works better. Yeah. But truly that idea that you can know, and you just described it for your own self. You know that when the moon is in Taurus, blah, blah, blah happens. When the moon is in Capricorn, the other blah, blah, blah happens. Well, that's really powerful information to have. And that information is available to everybody pretty easily. You just need the discipline and the focus and the steadfastness to check over two, three, four lunar cycles. And you will have the same vocabulary for the different sign feelings that you and I have.
Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And I, you know, this will be the last thing I talk about this, but I love Capricorn energy. It's my favorite. Like I'm a South node Capricorn. I have a feeling like that could be why. Are you too? Yeah. South node Capricorn, North node Cancer. Dang. I'm like, that's so cool. I know we just had our lunar node return. It was phenomenal. And uh, I know my daughter, she's a little Scorpio. I call her Scorpio queen. I'm like, you're my Scorpio queen. She's six, but she is always crying. She's like, I want to be a Capricorn. (laughs) (laughs) She'll find her way. She'll find her way with all that emotion. So fun. I love it. So very cool. So I kind of want to switch over to dreams now because on the podcast, talk about this and I'll be honest with you. Like it's something that comes up a lot in my mentorship, like, Oh, track your dreams. But the Mm -hmm. truth of the matter is I don't remember my dreams unless they're downright nightmares. Like I, so I'm not somebody who like gets, I'm not like an Edgar Casey where I get like, you know, prophecies in my dreams. I do have a lot of friends that get like a lot of insights in their dreams. I have always struggled with that. I just have nightmares if I remember anything about my dreams. So I would love to know more about like your work with dreams. How can mm. people remember their dreams or at least start to have some positive dreams? Like, Well, first and foremost, nightmares are prominent in our memory, I think, on purpose. I believe our psyche um, is sharing with us snapshots of what's going on in our unconscious through dreaming. So we wake up having had a dream, and the dream is going to show us where we're in shadow, where we're in fear, where we're saying no to life. And a nightmare is a classic example of a big, loud, I'm frightened of life kind of moment, then the nightmare in the dreamscape must be correlating to some life experience that might be triggering some fear in the unconscious. And so the nightmare is more memorable so that you wake up with a memory of the dream and think about it during the day. That's like having a relationship with your unconscious. That's all that dream work is designed to do. Yes, it can help you work through problems. Yes, it can help you uh, uh, know and understand more about your psychic patterning and your you know, emotional trauma. There's value in dream work. But the, at the end of the day, what we're really trying to accomplish with dream work is do you have a relationship with your unconscious? And the unconscious speaks to us in dreams. And simply by acknowledging that we have a dream, we're engaged in that relationship. One of the challenges that I have in inspiring others to dive into their dream is the moment somebody has me interpret a dream for them, they think, oh my God, that's dream work. Mm. Like knowing what a dream means definitively is dream work. And it's like, no, honey, that's not dream work. That's Dr. Michael Lennox's skill. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I have a God-given gift And if you're interested, come my way and we'll work on the dream in that way. Or you come to a dream circle that I do online. I mean, there's all these ways you can experience my gift, which looks very satisfying. I had this dream. Dr. Michael Lennox said it means this. It resonated for me emotionally and hurrah, done. Except that's not dream work. That's a session with Michael Lennox. (laughs) Dream work can be anything. You have a dream and remember it, you're doing dream work. You have a dream, you write it down, you're doing dream work even more so. You have a dream, write it down and share it with somebody, now you're cooking with gas. You have a dream, write it down and maybe do something creative in response to it, like draw a picture from the dream imagery, now you're really doing dream work. Now, do you notice that in those last four examples I gave, not one of them involved figuring out what the dream meant? Yeah. I I love that because I see that with psychic readings too. It's kind of like giving your power away, right? It's just like... Yeah, a little bit. Now there's a contradiction built in this, honey, because if you come to me for dream work, I'm going to tell you what the dream means through my gift. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm contradicting my own self, right? I'm going to tell you, you don't need to know what the dream means, but if you come to me, I'll tell you what your dream meant. <laughs> right? But really, there's two things happening here. One is I have a gift and a talent. Believe me, when I was in grad school, I took a lot of flack. My Jungian teacher, when I explained to her what I did, she looked at me and she said in her like little German accent, so you're like a fortune teller. (laughs) I almost slapped her. I I mean, I didn't almost slap her, that's a joke. (laughs) But I was bona fide offended. Yeah. She wound up being one of the dissertation chair people. Like she sat on my dissertation chair. So we, we were good. She and I were good. But she is a tradition Jungian psychotherapist who does Jungian analysis. 
what I did in the world, she sort of called, you know, fortune telling, which I, you know. Um, <laughs> so, but the, the point is, is that the dreams are something that are happening inside of you. They're happening in a very deep place and they're happening right at the surface of the unconscious where it meets the conscious mind. Um, and so therefore, just having a relationship in the way that we describe, remembering them, writing them down, sharing them with another, or responding with a kind of a creative act, um, will shift and change how many dreams you're having in your daytime memory, what the vividity of those. It will increase if you start focusing on it. One of the things that inhibits people from remembering more and increasing that skill set of remembering dreams is you really gotta, not only do you have to set the intention to remember the dream, you gotta make it easy for yourself by putting the dream journal or the recording device right next to your bed so that you attend to it first thing. And here's the most important thing. You gotta write something down even if you don't have a dream memory. You take that act of putting pen to paper, even if, even if what you have to write down is, I don't remember anything from my dreams last night, then maybe wait a moment, see if anything comes, and then go on with your day. By doing that, that physical act signals the unconscious that you want to keep this window open longer. Dreams are visual, right? Mm-hmm. But we, and we are visual, we see with our eyes, and that's a visual experience. But the place in our brain where we're processing that visual imagery is not the same. In other words, we don't see our dreams with the same part of our brain that our eyes see the world with when we are awake. So when that mind wakes up and starts to dial into online consciousness of I am Danielle, I'm waking up, I know who I am, I know where I am, I know when I am. It simply drowns out the part of the brain that's holding the visual imagery from the dream content. Okay. So it's still there, it's just quiet and your waking mind is loud. (laughs) That's why you go to the pad right away and say anything. Yeah. That will help trigger keeping that window open a little bit longer. I will do that because I have a dream journal next to my bed, but honestly, I've had it there for like a year and I think I have like three. Yeah, you're waiting for the big dream. Wait for the big dream. That's right. That ain't going to happen, honey, because the <laughs> dreams are diminished in their volume and it's never going to happen. It doesn't matter how you wake up. So I have kids who are three and six. So my wake up is very abrupt. It's like <laughs> jumping on me or like... Oh, you know, I peed my bed or like something that you're just, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I had a bad dream. <laughs> I'm like up and at him. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Like my, my journaling would probably be delayed by a little bit just because of the, the nature of my sure. life. Sure, but sure. it would still kind of work. Like if I just like intentionally was like, okay, I clean the bed. Kids have food. Now I can kind of like sit down or like, I've heard a saying before where usually when your feet hit the ground, you kind of like forget. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's in a very general sense, Danielle, the minute you sort of engage with your waking life, it's game over. Okay, yeah. Even if you wake up and it's like, oh, I'll never forget this dream. I don't have to worry about it. I can go brush my teeth, feed my kids, and then I'll remember, and you won't. Yeah, yeah. That's what I yeah. find. Yeah, <laughs> um, especially if you're already somebody who is not typically remembering their dreams with ease as a natural way that your psyche is set up. And everybody's just wired differently. It's In some ways, it's just wiring it's like sense of direction you know you're moving around and some people that you know that friend that sits in the back that has the great sense of direction yeah why does one person have a great sense of direction where someone else doesn't it's similar in that some people are just wired to be in you know dream memory with ease and some people are just all right well i'm going to keep trying i'm going to keep trying really woo woo about the dreams like like I have a belief that our souls like leave our bodies at night, right? It's like, mm. let's go like visit the other side. Let's go like go check out the plan for like the next little while. So does it matter? Like, do you believe in that too? Like, yeah. where, right. Is your soul completely detached from your consciousness? You know, to, to be in a general answer to your question. Absolutely. We believe the same thing. In fact, I have a prayer uh, that I do every night as I'm hitting the pillow Um, you know, which is about allowing, you know, just welcoming the opportunity to release myself from my body and lean into what I call the sweet death of sleep. 
I like that. So I like the idea that when we sleep, we are sort of dying. We're separating from our bodies. We leave the body on some level and then we reanimate it in the morning when we wake up. This is not, I mean, this could sound like a woo-woo thing about dreams and sleeping, but the reason I connect to this so easily is that everything replicates everything else. Like up and down are like rhythms. In-breath, out-breath are rhythms. Day, night are rhythms. Um, waking life and sleeping life is the same rhythm as life and death. And every death is followed by a rebirth, right? So yeah, I think when we sleep, something like death happens in the sense of we leave our bodies. Mm. What that means or looks like or is describable as, I don't have language for that. There are intuitives who can have language about that because their sensation experience might reveal to them stuff that I don't see, mm-hmm. right? But I also can talk about like motion sickness of planetary movement that I can feel that you can't, right? So my gift allows me to speak into some things definitively, whereas mm-hmm. other things I can speak into like conceptually, like this. I don't know what it means that we leave our bodies when we sleep or that we do some form of death and rebirth ourselves in the morning. But I am inclined to believe that we go places, that there's night school, that we visit other people. I think there are dreams that people have of other human beings that are strangers to them, but that are just other human beings sleeping in their bed having a dream at that very moment too. (laughs) How cool would that be? Can I prove that? No, not even a little. I had one dream in my life. I've had two completely lucid dreams in my life. And when I say completely lucid, I don't mean like, oh my gosh, I'm dreaming. I mean like, As awake as I am right now, I once had an experience in a dream that was this awake, knowing I was sleeping and dreaming. It was worth the whole trip of my life. Mm. That sensation was so profound. It's like if I had died the next day, I'd have been like, happy to have come. Thank you very much for the journey. That was amazing. Then I had another one maybe 10 years later, about five years ago, similar. It was like a sepia tone. It wasn't bright light. like like three-dimensional waking life. It was a little tinted, but still vivid. I'm, I'm asleep in my bed. I you could even feel the room I was sleeping in as sort of like over air quotes there. <laughs> and there were like five guys sitting around a picnic table. And I just looked at them and I said, you, you know we're all dreaming right now. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was it. But you understand, in that moment, I really knew I was sitting down at a picnic table in the dreamscape with five other people who were also asleep in their beds having the exact same dream. Was it true? How could I know if it's true or not? Did it feel true? Yes, it did. Crazy. It would be so cool if you like ran into those people one day. You just have like this, like, I know you from something. Did you have a dream about a picnic table? That is so cool. I think I've had two lucid dreams. One, it was like my first sleep paralysis. Like that comes up a lot with a lot of my clients is like, I was awake. I, my eyes were kind of like open, but I was asleep, but I felt like my guide come near me. And I remember having a conscious thought around, oh, this is what people probably think possession feels like, right? Like a lot of people go to that real kind of like dark side, but I knew it was my guide because I know his energy so well, but it was that kind of like sleep paralysis moment. And I got this kind of like download because I've had one download before that was really intense. It was the same feeling. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. You're talking about one of my favorite topics, honey. (laughs) I believe that sleep paralysis creates one of the most sacred states the human body can enter. Mm. We are in that moment, slightly consciously awake, but not fully. So we are perceiving what's happening in the room That's why sleep paralysis dreams take place in the bed that you are sleeping in. Though you feel like you're sleeping and dreaming, part of you is awake, but most of you is in that sleep state, which means you are able to perceive the five-dimensional energies that are present always. But the body is paralyzed. It's literal. Sleep paralysis is not a moniker or or an innuendo. 
when we go into REM sleep, the brain paralyzes the body to keep us safe because the prefrontal cortex is lighting up with all of the stimulation of everything that the brain received during the day. And during that process, we are formulating short-term memory. We're getting rid of the stuff that's excess um, and reviewing everything that happened during the day to do that. That's why so many dreams uh, include material from the daytime experience because part of what we're doing is we're actually making memory and getting rid of the extraneous. By the way, we're also in REM sleep cleaning out brain poop, cells mm -hmm. poop. We don't have a lymphatic system in the brain. We've got the blood-brain barrier. So there's a thing that happens. I won't go into it, but it's interesting. And it's certainly what the scientists say. Well, you're getting rid of metabolic waste where dreams have no meaning which is, of course, nonsense. So there's all this stuff that's happening in REM sleep, and the paralysis is necessary. So now imagine that you're in this state. You're a little bit awake, so you're a little bit in three-dimensional consciousness, but you're mostly dialed into five-dimensional consciousness, and you're able to perceive energies that you typically couldn't perceive, and you're paralyzed. <laughs> you're going to conflate those two things. And now the sensitivity that you're your spiritual woo-woo antenna can feel will collapse with the, oh my God, I cannot breathe. And now we have the succubus, mm. that energy that is perceivable during the sleep paralysis experience that people report sits on the chest yes. of the dreamer sucking their life force out. Now, does that mean there aren't succubus energies? I don't know. I not... I'm not gifted enough to know, but I am certainly smart enough to know that there's this state where perception just explodes out into five-dimensional consciousness and you're paralyzed and most people will find that a terrifying experience. Mm -hmm. And what you just described, Danielle, is what I think is the purer experience that when you were in that state that is in both worlds, that liminal state that includes both a little bit of consciousness and mostly your unconscious, that's where your guides are perceivable by you in a way that you otherwise only get when you're channeling. Right. I love that. I'm so glad we talked about this because I can't tell you how many DMs and emails I get from people about sleep paralysis and there was something dark around me and it like took my breath away. And I always go to the light side. Like I always go yeah. to the light side and I knew it was my guide because again, I knew how he felt. I knew I was getting a download yep. of some sort that would help me in my work, but I was very aware of that paralysis feeling, which you know, I know about the amygdala and I, I talk about that a lot in my work because it creates the monsters in the closet. That's I was right. Like, this is what people are afraid of. This is what people That's experience. Right. I felt so lucky I got to experience yeah. that, right? It, it, it speaks to sensation, Danielle, the sensation, because I'm all about that. I just, my body is so freaking sensitive that everything I teach comes through that language and that lens, but it's, it's the right thought to match the sensation. Mm -hmm. Sensation is I perceive that which is imperceivable and something is keeping my chest from being able to breathe. That's the bona fide sensation. So if I have to make up a story that includes both perceiving of subtle energies and I'm paralyzed, great story to make up. There's succubus sitting on my chest, sucking my life force out. Yeah. I knew a guy, I mean, I didn't know him. He was somebody that crossed my path and I heard his story and I said, will you come to my office and let me interview you? And he agreed. And somewhere I have an old videotape with this interview on it. He was a young guy who had sleep paralysis as a constant in his life. And he organically by himself knew that this dark energy that he was perceiving was not fully what was so. And he used the consistency of the sleep paralysis visitations and his meditative skill to transform his perception of this energy. And over about a nine, 10 month period, it went from this dark succubus sucking the life out of me energy to a beautiful, sacred, energetic dance that some guide or guard experience was offering him, and he did it by changing his perception morning after morning over time. 
I just have to raise my hands to this because yeah, I Yeah, baby, I'll raise mine. <laughs> I can hear mics dropping all over the world That's right like, now. Baby. I think like literally people, I hope that this helps changes people's perception because again, yeah. I get a lot of calls from families about their kids being possessed or something crazy. And I just walk in and teach them how to connect with angels. And I'm like, now this is all you're going to see and experience and expect. It's just about this like perception, right? And I major mic drop moment. I'm so glad we got to talk Yay. about it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I know that this is going to answer a lot of questions for the spirit school listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the last topic I really wanted to talk about, I was so excited about because this is a current day reality for me is around the finding your voice. Now to give you a little uh, bit of context yeah. quickly, because uh, in corporate, I rarely talked. I maybe talked an hour out of my entire day. And then now I'm full time. I have a YouTube channel. That's all you do. <laughs> all I do is talk. And I keep telling my healers, I like, I pulled the throat chakra, right? Like, I feel literally like I need somebody to teach me another way to speak so that I stop losing my voice and I stop that, oh, oh, and that yeah. kind of chakra being like pulled, right? And of course, it's not good to walk around saying you have a sore throat during COVID. <laughs> It's like, oh, oh, so funny. But yes, if you talk for a living, that's where you're going to have your, I remember seeing a psychic, Karen Strazieri, I was 25, I was doing a lot of singing in those days, and I was like, why do I have sore throats all the time? And she said, it's because it's what you're using all the time. If you were a hooker, you'd have gonorrhea. <laughs> I loved that. I was like, yeah, baby. So does so it yeah, get better? I just created a class called Finding Your Voice. And I got to tell you something, Danielle. I feel like I landed in the soup of my dharma. Mm. Like I, this class did not come up from my mind or my thoughts or my ambitions. I was teaching a class on forgiveness, um, which I put out into the world right at sort of, you know, shelter in place. It seemed like the perfect timing. I've taught this before. It was wildly, you know, successful in terms of numbers and I was having a great time teaching and a woman came forward to work one-on-one in this class and I just noticed that her voice was tiny and held held up and I said hey honey would you make a little sound for me we just like ah just ah and she went "Ah." (laughs) I was like oh honey (laughs) your voice is all stuck I should teach a class about finding your voice That's all I said. The chat in that class blew up. Mm. I try not to pay attention to the chats in class. I have moderator to do that. Like I can't, it distracts the shit out of me. And, but there, I couldn't, if there was just doing boom, 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 boom. I want that class. 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 I was like, okay, I guess I got to teach this class. And so I just, as soon as the forgiveness class was over, I dove into creating an outline. I put it out there. The response was even bigger. It, the number of people who signed up for this first class was enormous. I, not only was I teaching the class, but because it's new for me, I was participating in it. After the first class, I had a trigger moment and I did the thing that I was teaching people to do about like, how old did I feel? And I, I discovered this whole sort of disowned six-year-old self of mine, which is a place where I lost my voice at, you know? So, so in some ways, my response to you about you loving this idea and, and having a personal resonance with, you know, that I'm teaching this, I'm having the same experience and it feels kind of new. I kind of feel a little geeky about it. Like I can't say, oh yes, I'm Dr. Michael Lennox and I'll teach you that class and I have tons of experience doing it. And cause that's not the case. The case is it's brand new. And I feel like it's something I'm going to teach for the rest of my life. The experience of carrying these people through a four week uh, journey and I'm teaching them all the Kristen Linkletter actor's technique for freeing the voice. So everyone's being taught an actual bona fide warm up design to free and open the channel that the physical voice comes through. And then we do a dive into the family traumas and the sibling unit experiences and the early challenges that all people bump into about having and finding their voice. I thought initially that maybe I wasn't the right person to teach this class because I was never the person who had a small voice. You know, it's, there's a lot of Michael in the room and there always has been, but that doesn't mean that it was authentic and grounded in my heart. I was a ticking time bomb for the first couple of decades of my life. And so I didn't have my voice and I had tremendous blockage in my throat chakra. Even stuff that I was working out in the last five years in my fifties was still clearing out blockages in my throat chakra that through 
intuitive perception I could identify as ancestral, ancestral generational wounds yeah. of not having a voice, which I think we all suffer from. I think it's absolutely a human condition that we have this incredibly sacred way we are to meet the world and create. It starts with the word and the word is formed by the voice. Mm-hmm. That is creativity incarnate. Yeah. In the beginning, there was the word. And we lose it from the minute we start being formed as humans by our family of origins. It's the first place to get shut down. Yeah, I love that. And I have to say, when I, so I'm, I kicked myself when I was on your website last week preparing for this interview, that it was like this weekend's the last class. I'm like, I hope he runs this again. Oh, God, yes. Because <laughs> I need it. I need it. And I Soon, was- Soon, in fact. You know, I've been teaching mediumship now for over four years to lightworkers. And one very common thing I see between them is the hardest thing, just getting people to talk. I'm like, just say what you're thinking, say what you're seeing, saying what you're feeling. There's like this blockage there for people stepping onto the spiritual service path. And I believe that is connected to our worthiness. Am I worthy of this path based off of my history, you know, or yeah, and it's just wow, you're blowing me away. Like you're telling me that people might even be having inside of their psyche these tremendous sort of access to intuitive material. But if they don't have the courage to open up their mouth and just say what they're experiencing, then their voice is actually the limiting factor that keeps them from sharing their intuitive gifts with the world. Wow. And it keeps them feeling stuck. Like some people are saying, I'm stuck. I feel like I'm suffocating. I'm like, cause you're not speaking up. You're not sharing what you're most passionate about for fear of being judged by your family, fear of being judged by your friends, fear much like I had that like, you know, what I say about mediumship, there's greater teachers with bigger audiences that say the same thing. So it's like, why would my voice make a difference? And I had to walk through that fear by starting this podcast and just saying, I'm doing it anyways. And That's I- right. Because yeah, your voice is your voice. It's not mine. And people will be attracted to my yeah. voice differently than they're attracted to somebody else's voice, even if we're saying yeah. essentially the same thing. And so I was really excited to have you on the podcast because it's it's very common. It's probably next to the fear of being wrong. I think it's the most common thing is the mm. fear of speaking up. And so I forced my students to say, give me 20 things. I want to hear 20 things out of your what you're picking up. It's a big number. It's a big number. But by the time you get to 15, you're kind of rolling. Yeah. You're just like... Who cares? Like, just say the thing. Just say it. Just say it. Yep. 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 Oh, this is so great. I know. I, I'm so excited for this work. And like when you were talking about before, it almost brought me to tears. I was covered in shivers. I'm like, yes, you have to keep doing this. And your voice, you're, again, you're like one of the first voices I wake up to every single day on your Instagram. You're like astro forecast for the day. And I'm, I just like, I'm just so excited you're bringing this work to the world. And I'm going to encourage every single light worker to like look into the future class that you're going to be making because I have seen it across people who not just mediumship, it's tarot, it's, it's aura readings, it's angel connections. It's, it's just common amongst light workers that there's this fear of persecution of, of speaking up, right? Which is definitely, you know, past life, intergenerational. Uh, generational. We are moving through a lineage that in the past, those who did what we do were killed yeah. for it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh-huh. And and I see too, you know, it's just one of the things that I say to people, your people that spirit wants to align you with won't find you unless you're sharing your voice. Like they need your voice. That's right. So, yeah. And there's something profound for me at any rate, um, you know, from like 20 years ago that all I wanted was to be a, you know, a famous TV star spiritual teacher was that beautiful dark night of the soul allowed me to tap into the really beautiful idea that my voice is only for those to whom I speak. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in charge of that. I'm only in charge of doing the speaking part to authentically speak into my truth and to what I have to share. And then the audience that is mine comes towards me and nothing can take that nothing can keep that from coming and comparing you know myself to others you know is a terrible blockage to that i went through that myself you know nothing like facebook to give you the opportunity to process envy of like comparisonitis 
Um, and so when I got onto Facebook 10 years ago, there was a lot of that for a couple of years and I healed it. I moved through and you're absolutely right. It is finding the purity of the message you have in your heart, getting the courage it takes to put it into your voice and then trusting that all of those who are designed to hear it. hundred mm. percent. You got to give them that chance though, right? Got to mm. give them that chance. Well, this has been a very energizing conversation. I am so honored that you chose to come on Spirit School. I thank you so much. And can you just leave us with how everyone can find you? Best and easiest place is indeed Instagram. And that's Dr. Lennox Dreams, D-R-L-E-N-N-O-X Dreams on Instagram. And I do put my red robe astrology every morning around 4 or 5 a.m. when I first get up, my little 59-second uh videos are there. I'm also on Facebook. It's Dr. Michael Lennox, Dr. Michael Lennox. That's a good place as well. Um, and michaellennox.com is the website for information about uh, clients and other classes. Awesome. And I'll have this all linked in the show notes below so you can just access them super easily. I highly recommend it. And I just want to say, I remember when you switched to your silk robe, everyone's like, whoa, like, did the robe change? Like what happened? You're like, hey, easy. It's summer. It's hot. That's, that's how it actually happened, Danielle. I was wearing my red terry cloth robe because it was, you know, morning and I'm naked. And so I had to put something on because <laughs> I can't wear my pajamas because my pajamas are my birthday suit. And then it just got caught. It was time to buy a summer robe. And I put it out there as an, as an effort to engage, you know, the marketing people say, engage with your social media audience. So I wrote that silly post, what color robe should I get? Mm. And oh my God, you thought I was like talking about who should, who should be president in November <laughs> with the way people responded. So we kept with the red robe and red robe astrology as a hashtag was born. I love it. I love it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, honey.